Welcome back to the McCann Dogs Podcast, Season 4, Episode 13. And today we need to talk about the point of training. And it's Friday the 13th. It is. We're recording Episode 13 on Friday the 13th. So hopefully nothing weird happens. No, but it definitely is a celebration. I think we'll definitely have to treat ourselves after. We'll get on a motorcycle and go riding somewhere. Port Dover. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. the tradition around this area. If you're not in Ontario, if you're not close to us, Port Dover is our Friday the 13th uh, motorcycle ride festivities but the joke is that there's a lot of snow on the ground today so nobody's riding motorcycles today no well maybe a few people but right good yeah. luck good but luck there'll still be people in port dover though the diehards will be down there and but they'll travel in their cars there we go all righty so the point of training and today i want to specifically talk about we we tend to see two types of people in our classes there are people who get their puppies and know that they're going to come to training. So they plan it. They've got their puppies registered. They're ready to go. Um, We have actually a puppy prep guide that we have in our online training program. A lot of people will get into that so that they know exactly what they need to do and they're all ready for when their puppy comes home. And then they start our puppy essentials programs right away and they teach their puppies right from the get-go how to be right. And then we see another type of person that unfortunately doesn't um, know that training is supposed to be something proactive and they come in with a whole bunch of problems and they're trying to put out fires in training. Mm -hmm. So today I wanted to talk about the point of training because I think that this is often missed in our modern society where people will often bring their puppies home and just hope for the best and hope that they learn as things go along. And of course... We don't really like that idea because it's hard to put out fires once the puppies have habits that are not so good in place. It can be difficult to backtrack from that. It's so much easier to train things right from the get-go. So what dogs learn first, they learn best. That is absolutely perfect. And we say that all the time. What they learn first, they learn best. And it is so true. There's a lot of really crucial training that you can get done in the early days of having your puppy or your new dog in your home. The good news is, is if you're getting a dog that is a little bit older, maybe a rescue dog, they still love to learn. And coming into this new situation, they will certainly have previous um, history and things that they'll be relying on to guide their behavior. But they're also going to be like a new sponge that you can give good information to and you can show them that you're a reliable and trustworthy leader and you can start to give them good information right off the bat through good training. And I think that that really is the point of training is avoiding potential problems in the future by educating first. And this is a very widely accepted thing with humans in our society. You know, we don't wait until our kids are are out of control to send them to school to learn skills Mm -hmm. and manners, et cetera. We start educating our kids right off the get-go. You know, we have early stimulation exercises with our little human babies and Mm -hmm. all sorts of things that we do to set them up for an optimal lifestyle. So you have... um, an adult son now, mm-hmm. but you know, think back to when he was a youngster. What was the what was the first sort of feeling for wanting to get some training and education into him? Like, when did that happen? Right away, the you know, as soon as you know, as soon as I brought him home, it's like I want him to be the best version of him that he can be. So I'm going to help him. I'm going to guide him. I'm going to, yeah, just 
be a mom. That's yeah. Brilliant. Right. I yes. love that. And um, I always like to say with a dog, you know, you get a puppy and there's going to be work throughout their lives. So you can either do the work early in the training scenario and you can teach them how to be a good dog right from the early puppy days. And then you can rely on all of that communication and all of those skills to carry them through the rest of their lives. Or you can do the work later and for the rest of their lives, managing poor behavior and trying to keep them out of trouble. And frustratingly so because you don't necessarily have the communication in place and the skills in place. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so crucial to get in early education. And um, my mother was very, very up on fully educating everything and everyone in the Mm -hmm. family. And when Quincy, who was my first dog, first joined our family, um, that was my first dog, the Rottweiler Mm -hmm. Quincy. And at four weeks old, when we committed to bringing her home, my mom had already called around to find the best place to train and had signed up for Puppy Head Start, which is now Puppy Essentials at uh-huh. McCann Professional Dog Trainers. So my fate was sort of sealed. That was, you know, 23 years ago now. And um, I was on the path to becoming a computer programmer. And I quickly halted that. I was uh, in my first or second year of college, I think. And I quickly, I didn't halt it. I finished off, but then I did an about face and came to be a dog trainer instead of a computer programmer. And I can tell you, I've never regretted that a day in my life. So um, what was your origin in dogs? Just out of curiosity. Uh, Well, I grew up in it. Uh, My parents uh, were very active in uh, showing and uh, obedience trialing their dogs. So I I was born into it. So I didn't really ever not didn't have, know any difference yeah i didn't know the difference of yeah, yeah. and it, it always astounds me people who don't train their dogs yeah. uh, just because it was such a, a natural for us growing up me too so um uh, from from your perspective then do you know why your parents got into it did they have a dog that was yes. giving them a hard time yes or? they had a german shepherd and uh it was out of control they had um adopted it at six months of age with uh no prior training i think the dog had spent its life uh, early life tied up and and uh, when they brought it to the home, the dog was was crazy, was 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 a big handful. And uh, that's how they got started by uh, attending uh, obedience classes to get that German Shepherd under control. OK, so a little bit of a different origin story than you then. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who are um, listening to this and thinking, oh, dear, I wish I had started training a little bit earlier. There is some really positive messaging for you because that was many, many years ago. And they have spent decades, of course, in dog training mm-hmm. as both um, competitors and your dad is an obedience judge as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And and then you yourself have mm-hmm. worked professionally with dogs for a lot of your life. I mm-hmm. know that you've sort of bounced around through through different paths and whatnot, mm-hmm. but I also know that you have spent a lot of time with us at McCann Dogs, yes. and we love that. Thank we you. call uh, we call instructor Christine our boomerang because <laughs> she'll um, well even last year or the year before yeah I was she, in New Brunswick yeah. in Nova Scotia doing some uh, just drifting about having some fun and uh, yep then I came back <laughs> and then she drifted back to have right. some fun with us again so yes. we are very grateful for the boomerang that is Christine instructor <laughs> Christine that keeps coming back to us so the point of training and um, my first point here that I wanted to talk about is building communication. So tell me what you think about when I say the point of training is to build communication with my dog. It's 
teaching the dog and learning yourself how to best communicate between each other. So teaching the puppy to look to us because we're going to be giving them good information. They don't have to make up their own information. We'll be giving it to them. Absolutely. And with that good information, it becomes a habit to listen. And I find that I say this a lot with my students in trying to, you know, uh, impress upon them how wonderful it is that they're getting into training early, how wonderful it is that they're spending time with repetition, etc. is that the side effect of that is the dog gets into the habit of listening mm-hmm. and then life becomes so much easier. And I will often marvel at how my dogs orient to my voice and I can say any silly thing and they just they're used to communicating with me. Mm -hmm. So when they're out, when we're out and about on a walk, for example, and Ned starts sniffing something at the fence or he's looking for bunnies and I start chattering behind him because this is what I do. (laughs) I start chattering about, oh, where's your bunnies, buddy? And he looks at me and he gets all excited. And I think, you know, if I hadn't had all of the training in place that I had, I'd just be having a one-way conversation there. But as it were, even though he's not speaking to me audibly, we are having communication. We are having a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I love that we just have little chats out and about where... I will say any silly thing and he'll look at me and depending on the tone of my voice, he'll get excited or not get get excited. But I love that my dogs will orient to my voice on anything. Mm. So then when we're out and about, I often have these really casual recalls that I use when it's just you know, downtime and there's no, um, there's no danger in the situation, et cetera. If I'm walking the path, for example, and Ned stops to sniff something on the side of the path, um, as I continue on, a lot of the times it'll just be, let's go, you know, something, something silly or buddy, I'm going over this way. And he'll immediately stop sniffing and come Mm -hmm. running in my direction. And I think like, wow, you know, a lot of the times I think that was just because he likes communicating with me. He likes right. having those conversations. So, <laughs> um, And communication, too. It, 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 I find when we teach our dogs good communication, it extends to other humans that are in the dog's that, that may care for the dog. I find um, if I have to leave my dog at the vets or if I take them to a groomer's and leave them there or at a boarding kennel, the the groomer, the vet, the technicians are always they're all the dog is always one of their favorites because the dog that. listens to them yeah. and interacts with them um you know it just doesn't try to you know drag them down you know somewhere the dog's in tune with the person because they've learned to communicate with me and now they're trying to communicate with this other person that is temporarily caring for them I love that. That's amazing. And you have worked at an emergency vet clinic, so yes. you have handled a lot of dogs in mm-hmm. those situations. Right. So you must be able to pick out the dogs that have had good training versus the dogs that have not very, very easily. Yes, you definitely you definitely can tell. Yes. Perfect. Some dogs are just very tuned into you mm-hmm. and then other dogs, you know, they just they don't know. They don't know you're there. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. So once they learn that we're worthwhile listening to, that becomes the habit and they will learn to orient to your voice and they will learn to orient other people giving them instructions, etc. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. I love that. Um, My next point here that I have is that you get to know each other on a true level. And what comes to mind when I say true level? Oh, it that's a that that's a tough one to throw at me. That's okay. On a true level, yeah. you 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 really know each other. Mm-hmm. Like you you know when the dog is not feeling well, 
and you know say say the dog is you know is is ignoring you a bit and you go you know what he doesn't normally ignore me something's wrong like mm-hmm. is he not feeling well is his leg sore uh, so you 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 truly yeah. get and and i remember when honda started to go deaf people would say ah ha ha no he's no he's just selectively listening and i remember thinking no I know my dog. Love this example. He listens. Yeah. He's not blowing me off. He's truly something's wrong with this dog. And you know, he was. He was going deaf. But it used to yeah, it used to make me a little bit uh, inside when people said he's yeah. selective listening. So it's like, no, I know him. Well, first, I'm sorry for catching you off guard there, but I'm glad I did because <laughs> like, your aunt your response was just oh, brilliant. Thank you. And I, I it was exactly what I was looking for because without getting to know your dog and who they truly are, you end up using words like stubborn and spy spiteful and stupid in some terms. And, you know, these are awful words to use to describe dogs. And we hear that a lot from people Mm -hmm. who have not truly taken the time to learn how to communicate from their dogs. And therefore, they really don't understand their dogs at all. And we do not like those words at McCann Dogs at Mm -hmm. all. And especially that first one of stubborn, we hear it so often and dogs are not stubborn they don't understand what they don't understand right you know you uh, we talk a lot about situational learning and you might find that your dog has a great recall in the backyard because they want to be with you in the house and life is great so it's not really a an imposition for them to come in from the yard And then often people will expect that skill to transfer to other locations. Well, in other locations where there's lots of different distractions and lots of different excitement, the dog is going to have different listening skills until you've broken through and taught them how to listen in that environment. So a lot of the times it comes down to chasing bunnies or chasing other dogs in the park or running after something, running away. And if you think about the the physiological makeup of a dog, if they're chasing something and in prey drive mode, it's not going to serve them very well to be distracted off of that thing. Mm -hmm. So without learning how to contend with these things in a human world, and we revert back to the dog being a dog, the dog is naturally going to put blinders on to other things in the environment so that they can chase that prey and nail it down and eat, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what the instinct of the dog is going to tell them. Then they come into a human world and we don't necessarily take those things into consideration. And we expect the dog to be able to come off of a bunny or come off of a, a, a squirrel or something of that nature when we have haven't put in the time to teach them. Right. And I find that um, the recall itself is not a problem to teach. Once you have taught your dog how to open their ears in every situation. Yes. So that is a lot of training and it's a lot of um, it's a lot of teaching of skills prior to moving into those environments where you're super busy or where there's super huge distractions going on. So we, we talk about starting in the white room and teaching our dogs how to listen when there's no distractions around, but then it can't stop there. You need to up the ante with the distractions and you need to continue to build your dog's understanding of whatever the skill is that you're working on as you gradually increase the distractions. And eventually we get to the point where, you know, we use flirt poles and we use remote control cars and we use other people moving things quickly on strings and whatnot to teach our dogs to come off of moving objects. And then that will give us reliability in the real world. I, I, 
can tell you that almost daily I'll call Ned off of bunnies on the McCann property Mm -hmm. or on the path that we walk on quite a bit. There's in the spring, especially there's tons of bunnies on those paths right Mm -hmm. now on the McCann property. We've got like a big wood pile that there's lots of bunnies living in. There's also the chickens and the ducks have been uh, sneaking through the fence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's all sorts of times where we have to call our dogs off of these things. And I'll tell you that that's not the first place to start, but it's definitely something that you can work up to. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the toughest distraction that you've ever worked through with one of your dogs? Oh, toughest distraction. There's, oh, let's think about cowboy as an example. Your Saluki. She hurt. You know what? I, they're a breed that's bred to hunt rabbits. And I was able to call her off rabbits quite a few times. Mm -hmm. That surprised us. Um, I think the trick is getting the call out very soon. If I let her get engaged with chasing the rabbit, then her blinders would go on. But the moment I saw the rabbit the mo- is the moment I called, which really helped her uh, to learn, to get my thought in her head before she had her own thought in her yeah. head. So I would say definitely, you know, rabbits in a in a coursing hound breed that is just bred to you know, that's what they're bred to do. That's yep. what they live for. Yes, that was that was a difficult distraction, but I, I was successful. Awesome. And and these are natural instincts in the dog. And the thing with training is that what we are trying to do is replace some of those instincts with other skills and understanding. So the instinct to chase the bunny and turn off listening is very strong in dogs to to tune out other distractions. Like if you think about, um, if you think about that dog chasing prey, if they were easily distracted by something else coming along, they wouldn't eat and it wouldn't serve them well at all. So it's so important that we take those things into consideration. And that is one of the biggest points in training is working through and teaching our dogs how to be able to contend with those distractions, how to be able to continue keeping their ears open and listening and not relying on monikers like stubborn to excuse Mm -hmm. away the reason that they didn't come that time, putting in the work and making sure that they understand how to. So I don't even like it when I hear donkeys described as stubborn. (laughs) Like, I'm sure if you work with a donkey, it's not stubborn. It just, you have to understand Absolutely. How the donkey's mind works. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Every creature will be motivated by something. something yes. So we just need to find the right motivation for the right creature that we're working with. Right. And yep. I even our, even our stubborn teenagers that won't mow the lawn. There's, <laughs> there's got to be something there. There's got to be something to motivate them. <laughs> yes. So. And, and uh, you've lived through that because yes. you have raised a teenager. Right. Yes. So there you go. Um, another big point in training, and we've sort of touched on this a little bit, but building skills is so important. And... There are certain skills that people will often take for granted because when we bring home a young puppy, they're really good at these things. So for example, when we bring home a young puppy, we can usually take things away from them. We can usually touch their paws and handle them, et cetera. Mm -hmm. We can usually do any of the things that we need to do in order to be successful with that young puppy. But as they grow up and as they hit adolescence, what happens? They often say, no, I don't want you to rub my feet and uh, I don't want you to put eye drops in. They don't want to be handled. Yeah, absolutely. And that gets compounded. You said eye drops, which made me trigger right away on the idea that if they've got an eye infection, their eyes are probably feeling pretty sore and Mm -hmm. pretty sensitive. So it's compounded by the idea that not only have they not learned to accept handling, they have a reason to try to 
keep you away from their eyes because in that situation their eyes are sore and they haven't learned to be still and be steady for handling and what i mean by this is taking the time to practice with your puppy even though we don't have problems taking away their food bowl we don't have problems taking away a chew we don't have problems handling their paws what we want to do is spend some time building really positive associations to these things and these specific things are really important one of the skills that we spend a lot of time on in our puppy essentials program is taking the collar to build calm and we basically in the four-week duration of our puppy essentials program we go from teaching the dogs to be accepting of us just taking a hold of their collar to by the end of the program teaching our puppies that when we do take a hold of their collar their job is to simply let their energy out and to relax at that point so we build that up slowly and often we spend a lot of times trying time trying to convince people that Taking the collar is a worthwhile exercise to practice because people say, oh, he doesn't have a problem with this. I can Mm -hmm. take his collar and clip on his leash and unclip his leash. And absolutely, we would not expect you to have big problems with this. But the point is that training is meant to be preventative for problems. Right. Yes. People get in a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've even had people say that, you know, oh, my four month old puppy comes every time he's called. He walks <laughs> on leash. You know, he does stay. Yeah. He doesn't need any training. He's perfect. And I think that's going to fall apart on you. It's definitely going to fall apart on you very soon. Yeah, it will. And you know, if you have one of those puppies that's already super cooperative and lovely, use it to your advantage. Mm -hmm. Thank the puppy giving gods and move forward by using that cooperative nature to teach your puppy great skills. Right. Yeah, so important. And all of these skills, what they're meant to do is teach our puppies to have skills to live through through lives in a human world. Mm -hmm. So that at eight weeks, they start right away learning that it's really positive when um, they're eating and we walk close to them, for example. You know, and we might spend some time throwing treats into Mm -hmm. their food bowl as we walk by when they're eating. We have specific exercises set out in our puppy essentials program to build really positive associations and understanding that we are not a threat when we approach and they have something valuable. You know, we don't expect our young puppies to show big possession. Some Mm -hmm. will, Mm -hmm. you know, there's always the exception to the rule and and those puppies you need to reach out to a professional with right away. Don't mess around with um, something that if you're not comfortable Mm -hmm. in understanding how to fix this problem, don't mess around with it because you can make it worse in a hurry. Reach out to a professional, get some help. And they will be able to guide you to counter condition and to help your puppy understand that we are not a threat. If you have a puppy that's a normal puppy and they're not showing any signs of possession, et cetera, that's great. Mm -hmm. But we want to make sure that doesn't develop. And as they age, those are things that tend to develop. So spend the time training in that moment. That is, again, one of the points of training. Mm -hmm. Spend some time training in those early days to teach our dogs not only to be accepting of it, but to actually enjoy it. Yes. So we'll pair it. How do you... um, work on handling with your dogs uh just it's just a very matter of fact exercise that we do every day as soon as the puppy comes home it's uh you know i'm always you know looking at their feet looking at their teeth looking at their eyes um you know when i go to put their collar on i get my hand you know hands all over them so Mm -hmm. it's it's something the puppy just it's every day and how are you building it are you using rewards or um i will if I will use rewards, mm-hmm. definitely, yes. Um, but a lot of it is just, uh, I find, very, very matter of fact. Uh, good dog, this is what's happening. And, uh, you know, if you start it right from when they're little. Yeah. But, you know, of course, sometimes you get them and they, you know, a little bit older or a dog that's, you know, six months old that's never had his feet touched. Then, of course, I'm going to use rewards and and yeah. and be sure it's all a positive experience for the dog. 
I actually use a lot of rewards right off the hop and the programs Uh teach using a lot of rewards right off the hop because we really want to build a super positive association Mm -hmm. with things so that when we get to the point where there is an ear infection Mm -hmm. and the ear is really sore, we have all this positivity to rely on to say, you know what, it's, I know it's going to be uncomfortable for you, but you know how to do this. We'll be able to support the dog and then we'll be able to help them get better by being able to medicate even when they are, you know, a little bit older down the road, et cetera. I want to be able to give my dogs eardrops without ever having to worry about muzzling them or having to worry about um, uh, sedation Mm -hmm. in order to do those things. So. Well, working at the emergency clinic, we were open when other clinics were closed and we would get people come to emergency and all their dog needed was eardrops. And all week they had been going to their their regular vet clinic and the technicians were putting in the eardrops for them. And now their clinic's closed. Oh, dear. And now they their dog will bite them if they get the put the eardrops in. So now they're paying a lot of money at emergency and sitting there for, you know, maybe a while if we had some true emergencies in there because they just simply couldn't put eardrops in their dog's ears. That would be a lot of expense to incur. That's for sure. Oh, Mm -hmm. my goodness. So um, handling extends to other things as well. It's not just about trimming toenails and about grooming exercises. It's also about being able to manipulate your dogs when they're excited. So, for example, we use a sit placement in our training, um, which explain the sit placement for us just briefly. The sit placement is when we want the dog to sit at our side in control position. Uh, What we do is we use our left hand to guide the dog's uh, butt into the area beside our foot. And the uh, left hand is short or the right hand. Sorry, I'm terrible to right and left. (laughs) The right hand is shortening up on the leash and uh, uh, gently lifting upwards to get the dog into a sit position, gently and lifting on the collar. Perfect. And we um, we have a bi-weekly live show on our YouTube channel called Train Station. And actually, this question came up last night. Um, one of the one of the people watching Train Station asked us, you know, isn't it unfair to physically manipulate your dog into the sit position? I, I see that you use a lot of the sit placement. And I responded quite quickly with, well, no, because they get used to it. We, we accustom them to mm-hmm. knowing how to interpret this handling. Right. So when we go to the park, for example, or when I'm walking down the street and there's another dog and I have a young dog in training and suddenly they're really excited that they see another dog on the street... I've already gotten them conditioned the idea that they might feel my hand on their rear and my um, a little bit of pressure upwards on the leash as I engage them into that sit position. And because they're comfortable with handling, they're comfortable with being touched, they're comfortable with being manipulated into positions, it immediately helps them take that energy out, drain it out a little bit, and it immediately helps them get into a sit so that I can calm them and we can continue on with what we were doing. I don't have right. this, you know, raging young dog at the end of yes. the leash bouncing up and down and, and right. not uh, not being able to be calmed. Right. Well, I find uh, that my partner, Guy, is uh, uh, from a non-dog background and uh, never had dogs. And the dogs he's experienced have been untrained dogs. And he's always amazed at how my dogs, you know, will let me look at their toenails, clip their toenails, brush them. He goes, they lay there so still. He goes, look, they just let you do that. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's what I expect. And that's what we've worked on. Yeah. So it's yes. And I look at the trend now with all the poodle crosses too. Mm -hmm. Those dogs need extensive grooming. They do. And if you ever go to a grooming place and watch the groomers, like they really have to manipulate dogs sometimes. They, you know 
will pull the front leg out so they can trim the front leg and and trim the the feet. They pull a back leg out. They have to hold the dog's head very, very still so they Mm -hmm. don't, uh, you know, the dog doesn't stick out its tongue while they're using trimmers and they cut the dog's tongue. It's, you know, cutting around the ears. So groomers have to really handle your dog. Yeah. So if you have a breed that needs professional grooming, it's something that you must do being a responsible dog owner. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm glad that you brought up groomers because we often talk in terms of vets, but we don't necessarily touch on groomers as much. And a lot of the times people will have trouble trimming their own dog's nails or grinding their dog's nails, etc. And they will bring the dog to a vet tech or a groomer to have those things done, which is absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. There is no shame in using a groomer Mm -hmm. or using a vet tech to help you with these things with your dogs. The only place that there should be shame is in not helping the dog prepare for that. Yes. So even if you're never going to do your dog's nails yourself, it is so important that you still spend time on handling exercises with your young dog. Um, We actually teach handling exercises with both our touch and with grooming tools to build comfort with Mm. our dogs. So with my young puppies, I actually do nail work every single day with my young puppies. And I'll tell you why. My Rottweiler Quincy was my first dog. And I didn't know necessarily to do as much handling exercises as I should have. Again, it was something that I took for granted. And it was taught very well in my puppy essentials class Mm -hmm. at McCann Dogs way back. But I thought, oh, you know what? She's pretty good. She's pretty good. She's pretty good. She's Mm -hmm. pretty good. (laughs) I did what most people do. You know, we all all come up. And um, when I got to the point where she hit adolescence, it started to change where she was no longer content to just sit and let me trim her toenails. She would do these little jerky movements. And it wasn't that she would be aggressive with me. She We'd done enough handling that she was okay, but she didn't like it. And she didn't know how to be still and steady with it. So she would jerk her paws away. Mm-hmm. And it would be really hard for me because she had very thick black nails And I wouldn't be able to see the quick. And I was constantly worried that I was going to cut into the quick, which is a blood vessel inside the nail that um, if you do cut into it, it's not pleasant for anybody. It'll sting for the dog and it bleeds quite a bit because it is a blood vessel. So it's not something that you, um, you obviously it's something that you want to avoid as much as possible. And I spent her entire life working backwards from that paw jerking Mm -hmm. and it would improve and then she would fall back into those old habits and she would go revert back to the paw jerking. And I vowed that I would never have that happen to me again, that Mm -hmm. I would always put in the effort and do the handling work. So now I overdo it, of course, but I make it a very positive experience for my puppies. So when I have a puppy in the home, I do nail work every single day. And that doesn't mean that I trim nails every day. It just Mm -hmm. means that I do some sort of handling exercises with my puppy every day that has to do with nail trimming. And that might be me just holding their paws and separating their toes. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to reward them as I'm doing that. It might be me separating their toes and putting a little bit of pressure on the end of the nail. I'm going to say yes, and then I'm going to reward them for being calm with Mm -hmm. that. I'm always waiting for the moment of calm. So it's not just about me holding the paw and then getting in that yes and reward. If my puppy is pulling away as I'm holding that paw, I'm actually rewarding the pulling away part. So I want to make sure that I'm waiting for them to calm and relax. Mm -hmm. And I'm asking them for just enough that they can be calm and relaxed. And I'm yes and rewarding at the point where they 
are willing and calm in that moment. And I might start incorporating the clippers into things. So as I'm separating those toes, I might just gently tap the end of the nail with the clipper. And I might do that five times in one day, Mm -hmm. and that'll be enough for my handling nail trimming work in that moment. But basically what I'm doing is I'm getting ahead of any trepidation about nail trimming. I'm building this almost, you know, boring response, but on the side of positivity where they go, you know what, I'll just sit here and wait until my cookie comes and they're going to be nice and calm and relaxed while that happens. Yes. Well, I use the, uh, we teach a chin exercise where the dog rests his hand, his Mm -hmm. hand, his chin in (laughs) your hand. (laughs) And I, I have a breed that uh, requires professional grooming Mm -hmm. and sometimes I do it myself, but it never looks as nice as when a, a, a professional does it. You know, he looks all chopped up when I do it, but uh, I will do it myself, especially around his face. And I, when I have a pair of scissors around my dog's eyebrows or around his uh, muzzle, I need him to be very, very, very still. Um, working at an emergency vet clinic, I saw dogs come in that owners had cut them with scissors and bad cuts oh into goodness. their skin too. Yeah, They're trying to cut out a mat and the dog jumps and the scissors go in and it is horrific and the owners are devastated that this has happened oh i can imagine so i'm you know i'm very careful um my dog gets little tiny knots right close to his skin in his groin and um i'm always trying to brush that spot but you know i know today with the snow on the ground he's going to get a few little knots around his groin and i will trim them out with scissors and he has to lay on his back with his legs open and be as still as possible for me. So, you know, handling and, and getting him used to those positions, you know, has been crucial for him. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a bit, because that's an interesting, um, it's an interesting position that you're talking about. So how do you get him into that position to begin with? Or how did you teach him to be comfortable in that position? Well, I start to teach him to lie on first, of course, you teach him to lie down, mm-hmm. uh, just using our regular method of luring. And then I would teach him to lie on his side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would use food and luring, you know, eventually, uh, fading the lure and just using the verbal and a signal. I always use a signal along with that. Um, Then we would just start gently, uh, you know, lifting his leg, you know, touching in that area very gently using gentle brushes. Um, Eventually we would lure him. So he was right laying on his back and I would help by propping him up with some pillows when he was younger Oh, I love uh, that. to learn for grooming because I had to do that grooming underneath him too. I had to use uh, the trimmers and the scissors for shaping And uh, it it took some time, but uh, with patience and luring and rewarding, you know, he he lies on his back without any pillows now and and, uh, relaxes uh, while I get in there with scissors. Good boy, Honda. That's great. And if we can sort of um, pretend this is a sliding doors moment where you hadn't done all that prep work, what do you think it would look like where when you needed to trim out those little knots? Oh my goodness. They would probably retire. We'd probably have to uh, hire some strong men to uh, (laughs) hold him on his back. Uh, We'd probably have to do some, uh, you know, hog tying of him and and uh, I can only imagine he'd have little <laughs> band-aids all over his stomach. Oh, poor guy. So <laughs> that- And it would be stressful. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And that's sort of what I wanted to um what I wanted to bring up as the point with this. It would be so stressful for both you mm-hmm. and Honda. Yes. And what that does is it sets us up to be poor leaders with right. our dogs and people people that our dogs can't trust necessarily right. yep. because we do these scary things and we pin them down, et cetera, et cetera. 
So important. Mm -hmm. So very important. Think about, um, think about your own dogs and what they're going to need to go through. And even if you're not going to be the one to do that grooming, make sure that they are comfortable with all of these different things. Uh, before I took Ned in to get his hips x-rayed when he was, um, somewhere around two, I had practiced making sure that he was comfortable rolling over onto his back and being sort of braced in a cradle Mm -hmm. so that I wouldn't have to use sedation to have his hips x-rayed. So, you know, a, a little bit of prep will go a long way and it will really help your dog. Training is always about getting ahead Mm. of these things. Yes, because many, we're starting to hear of dogs that uh, groomers are saying, no, we're not taking your dog. Yeah, and that's sort of, um, it's an empowerment that has come about after COVID because all of these services are so busy Mm -hmm. and they're able to say, you know what? we're going to pick and choose our clients. And if we have to do, if we have to deal with your dog, who's going to be trying to bite us all day mm-hmm. and fighting us all day long, we're not going to be willing to do that. Actually, interesting story. And uh, if instructor Ken tunes in to listen to this episode, <laughs> it's his story because that's how he came to find us. Uh, that actually said, I cannot handle your dog. You need to go and get some training because Deegan, his, who is, um, was his, a second lab, I believe he brought into Mm -hmm. his home was so wild and out of control that it could not be done. So keep in mind that we want to make sure we can always keep our dogs safe. We can groom them. We can handle them. Vets can groom or vets can handle them. Vets can examine them and we can take care of anything that might be necessary to help them out. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that I think gets accomplished with dog training that is often overlooked is the muscle memory that's created in the human. Right. Yes. And not only does that help with the current dog you're working with, but it'll help you moving forward with every single other dog you go to train because you'll have mechanics in place, you'll have skills in place, and you will be able to give your dog quick and timely information with those skills mm-hmm. so that training will get easier and easier. Right. Does anything Let's, spring to mind? When well, We can always tell when a student's trained a dog before. So when our, when our brand new uh, in-person life skills students come, you can right away pick out who's trained because yeah. they have that muscle memory. They're they're doing things that we recognize are our dog training moves. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and one of our tactics for um, making sure that we help our dogs learn to listen in different environments is making sure that we have other behaviors to work with. So for example, to help our dogs learn not to jump up, we will often use a sit command Mm -hmm. and have them sit for greetings until that they have learned to be calm enough for greetings that they're not going to jump up and then we'll build on those skills, et cetera. So another very important accomplishment that comes along with dog training from my perspective is making sure that we have alternate behaviors in place and not expecting to be able to build those alternate behaviors when the excitement is happening. So for example, if my dog doesn't already know how to sit on cue and he's really excited to greet this person, he's going to ignore when I say sit, 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 and he's trying to jump up all over that person. Whereas if I've taken the time to do some training beforehand, now I'm approaching this person who's going to say hello to my dog. My dog has a clear understanding of what sit means. I can use that alternate behavior. I can tell him sit and I can rely on that to keep him from jumping up. And then I'll build more polite greeting manners from there. Mm -hmm. So anything that springs to mind with you when teaching alternate behaviors? Uh, Well, not so much an alternate behavior, but just teaching a drop it or leave it. Perfect. Oh, I love that. Right. Let's talk about that. Yes. Um, I remember uh, a long time ago, I was at a dinner party 
And there was a little coton de tellur, little tiny white dog. Okay. And all of a sudden, she grabbed uh, like a turkey leg. Just, I don't know oh how my she goodness. got it. It wasn't, wasn't. Uh, that would be big for a little it coton. It was. And this dog was going to snarfle it down. And the uh, hosts of the dinner party, they were, they were helpless to get this out oh, of the dog's dear. mouth. And that could be very dangerous. Right. Cooked bones can splinter. Bones they are, can be incredibly dangerous for right. dogs. Or pancreatitis because of the yes. fat overload. Um, and I remember I just simply went to the dog and picked it up and took the bone out of the dog's mouth. And it was like I was the queen of the night. <laughs> I was like a big hero. And I remember thinking why wouldn't you just go and take it out of the dog's mouth? But they were terrified of being bit. I guess the dog had snarled and barked and backed them off enough in the past that when the dog had something, it was now the dog's property. Yeah. And the last thing you want to do is learn to live by the dog's rules because dog's rules are based on instinct and based on keeping dogs well and safe and alive. And they do not work well in our human world. We need to have some human skills that we have um, in place and we can teach our dogs. And I mean, I'm thinking about this story with a little cotton, which is one thing, but Mm -hmm. if that had been a Rottweiler or a German Shepherd or, you know, a dog that was a big dog Mm -hmm. who was saying, you're not going to take this, you know, that's a pretty scary situation to be in. Right. Yes. Like the little dog, you know, I think as I picked it up, it was grumbling and snarling, but I I felt confident as it was very small. Mm -hmm. And uh, just with my experience that I could keep my, my arm out of its mouth while I got this away. But if that had been a dog... 80 pounds, you know, I only weigh, you know, 105. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take on that size dog. That's, no, for sure. Yeah. And, and come out, come out, come out on top. Yes. Yeah. So that dog with good training in place, you'll be able to say, drop it there. I, there's a, so many things that I actually teach my dogs to bring me things quite often. Mm-hmm. And uh, we play a game called bring it here. Let me see. So that when we're out and about on hikes, I really like to get oh, off that, trail. Yeah, and that's a good idea. Yes. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I really like to get off trail on hikes and like, you know, get into the the deep areas that there's often carcasses and all sorts of things that get um do you ever see sasquatch i haven't yet but Mm. i keep my eyes open every time you never know (laughs) there's a ravine that we go to quite often and it is literally littered with bones and you know previously eaten meals there's a lot of coyotes i'm sure in this ravine and i teach my dogs from a very early age bring it here let me see so that you know if we're out and about I might give them I might give them a ball, for example, to right. carry around. I have tollers and they mm-hmm. love to have things in their mouths. So sometimes I might give them a ball to carry around. So here's a safe object for them. And I will quite frequently say, hey, bring that here. Let me see. And yes. they'll bring it over and I'll take the ball and I'll look at it. And sometimes I'll give them a cookie for bringing it to right, me. Right. And then I'll say, oh, that's really nice. And I give it back to them. Oh, and I let them go right, on their yeah. way. And while that seems like a silly thing to think about on the surface, then I'll start to do it with sticks and things mm-hmm. that they pick yep. up. So, you know, Ned might pick up a stick when mm-hmm. he's down in the... Um, down in the ravine and I'll say, oh, that's a really nice stick. Bring it here. Let me see. And he brings it to me and I will take it. And sometimes I'll give him a Mm -hmm. reward for it. And sometimes I'll just say, okay, that's enough. You know, let's carry on. And I might, you know, I might throw something for him that's a different thing that's safer. I don't like my dogs to carry around sticks or chase or run with sticks. Um, So in those situations, he's learned that bringing me things is often a valuable thing. Mm -hmm. He gets a random reinforcement for it. And that means that when he picks up 
the deer bone that I know he's inevitably going to pick up because uh-huh. we're going to find it down there in the ravine. Right. Or he's going to pick or up an that old rib sock. bone. Yeah. Or an old sock. Yeah. You Owned never know when hobo. you're... You never know when you're going to find old socks. We talked about socks in the last episode. Too. I think you got so. socks yes, on your mind. Yes, yeah, socks are <laughs> yeah. They're an important part of my life. <laughs> so, so my dog might pick up that rib bone and this is something that has happened many times and I'll say bring it here, let me see, and I will take that rib bone and, you know, hopefully not it's not too horrendous that I can take it from him or I'll tell him drop it. But either way, these are my point is that these are skills that I have taught before they're actually needed, because chances are if he finds a rib bone and he's not had any experience with giving up items to me readily and Mm -hmm. that being a positive thing, he's probably going to want to keep that rib bone. And then I might have a hard time getting it away from him. So the last thing I want to do is have to battle my dogs constantly for all the things they need to pick up. And the alternative to that is not going on those walks. Right. Yes. I had a staffy bull that picked up a dead mouse once oh my goodness and it might have been a rat actually but it was pretty gooey and the last thing i wanted to do was try to wrestle that out of that dog's mouth i was very glad that dog had a strong you know drop it because i thought i don't want to touch that i'm uh, you know a long way away from a bathroom with a sink and and soap to wash my hands oh my goodness yeah and that stuff happens too so when i was um i was rehoming a, a dog named squishy and squishy. he came to me without a lot of skills his name was actually william but i called him squishy because he was very squishy he was very overweight <laughs> when he came into my life i had to take some weight off him and i had to train some skills and then as i was trying to train skills i realized very quickly that he was stone deaf so we were dealing with an entirely different situation but right. i digress there was a time where he picked up a mole and I was looking at him and thinking like what have you got he all he had was the tail coming out of his mouth and I did have to wrestle it out of his mouth because unfortunately when he came to me he didn't have any skills right and this was prior to us getting any time to teach training he picked up a mole and was carrying it around quite happily and didn't even as he was a CKC spaniel which isn't really a tough breed at all but even that he said this is mine and I don't want to give it up to you so I did have to wrestle it out of his mouth <laughs> and then i taught him how to drop oh, things it reminds me of a funny story about um someone who worked here previously their jack russell terrier ate a mouse before they could say Ooh. drop it and then maybe about 10 minutes later threw up the mouse <laughs> and then they you know no out out and then the dog i think ate ate it again oh my goodness and i think it might have thrown it up a third time and they but fat time they finally got it away but (laughs) well maybe you'd have time in between those uh those repetitions to train a good drop it right right but i thought oh the last thing i'd want to do is wrestle a thrown up mouse out of a dog's mouth oh yes it just gets worse every time it's tried to digest it (laughs) (laughs) well i think that was a really fun episode to talk about training is fun and it is a wonderful way of enhancing your relationship relationship with your dog. So don't think of training as an afterthought to put out fires. Think of training as the thing that is going to set up your relationship to be stellar, top notch, wonderful. And I would, I would even venture to say magical, right? Magical, magical. I I have one last thing to say too. Okay. Is sometimes the people that come to us at six or seven months with, with an unruly dog say that they didn't think this dog needed training because their previous dog didn't need training. Ah, interesting. And they need to remember every dog is individual. Just because your last dog was awesome, 
maybe this time, you know, the new dog, he's going to be awesome, but he's not going to start off awesome. He might be yeah. a little bit more mischievous. So keep in mind, every dog is different. Yeah. And far more often, it happens that the dog hits adolescence and things derail versus them just continuing to be wonderful for the rest of their lives. So mm-hmm. keep that in mind. Invest in some training. Check out our McCann Dogs YouTube channel for all sorts of free videos. We have like 600 or some odd videos now. Oh my goodness. And uh, we also have great online and in-person training that you can get into as well, where we've, we've done all the organizing for you. On that note, I am Instructor Shannon. And I'm Instructor Christine the Swan. <laughs> we haven't, we haven't mentioned about this yet. I know. I think I, know. I managed to get through two right. episodes without, yeah, calling, without, you, calling, so, you without calling you Swan. Yes, but yes. now we're going to end on that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm Instructor Shannon. And I'm Instructor... Swanee. (laughs) Happy training. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training.